Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. And welcome, folks. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 or 367 one 800 Every Saturday morning, we get together to discuss your yard, landscape, garden, house plants. What are you going to do with this, that, everything else? What's happening? What are these bugs? What's doing over here? Why are these holes here? And everything else. But please remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take effort on your part in this great marathon called gardening. There's never a sprint. There's you know short sprints, but uh, they are really short. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And certainly thanks to Matt. He's producing again today. I can't believe it. It's like five or six weeks of this garden hotline. He is tough. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been doing the garden hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books, and two are currently available in various locations. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. Today's stroll, that's good gardening stroll, is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Separate from my good gardening stroll, if you're out wandering around and taking a good gardening stroll yourself and you smell something and you're walking underneath trees, it's probably the linden trees. Linden trees are in flower now, and the fragrance is outstanding. A couple weeks ago, a lady called and said maybe somebody was asking about a tree, and she said it could be the linden. So go out there and sniff around and see if you can find a linden tree, and maybe that's the answer. I thought, well, today, where am I going to take my good gardening stroll? Hmm. Last week, I was looking at the news, and I found out something that caught me completely by surprise. There are foxes that live in the Compton Heights area, Compton, <laughs> Compton Hill Water Tower Park, or whatever technically the name is. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go up there and see if I can find the mother fox and her three kits, K-I-T-S. I didn't know that's what baby foxes were called, kits. Hmm. But anyway, they had a bunch of pictures of them, Man, but you know, unfortunately, <laughs> I wasn't able to see them. But still, it was a good walk around the Compton Hill Water Tower Park. And um, they I think these foxes live underneath some steps, but there's steps all over the place. So usually when I'm there, I walk around on the west side, and that's uh, basically where the tower is and where the fancy water features are and the fountains and stuff like that. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go to the south side and the east side today to see if I can find the foxes. But anyway, the sunlight was produce, or pushing through the trees. Sycamores and oaks and crab apples and birches and redbuds, oh my, many, many more trees. The lawn had been recently cut, so I don't know if it uh, was cut 
yesterday? Probably looks like it. From the clippings that are on the sidewalk, they're still green, so they haven't dried out entirely. Across the street, there's a building at 3450 Russell. And, man, the waterfalls in front of that building, you can hear them across the street. And that made a great sound. There's islands of liriope and daylilies and crown vetch and embraces this giant garage door, which I don't know where that garage door goes. But uh, a little bit further down the walkway on the south side, Euonymus uh, winter creeper, the ground cover that uh, will take over very invasive. But uh, So you probably don't want it in your yard unless you want to just let it go. Magnolia Grove, it reaches out over the sidewalk. There's multiple benches that offer various views, including the lighted tennis court with a sign mentioning don't take your pets onto the tennis court. Norway spruces this time of year blend into the background, but in the winter, I'm sure they are a visual haven. There's white clover and wild carrots in bloom. It's just kind of sprinkled all over the place. Some young catalpa trees, columnar hornbeams, and uh, guess what? All kinds of other stuff going on. Uh, there's some old buildings on this back side, which is actually the east side. Some of it's, you know, the, actually the park buildings, you know, maintenance buildings, equipment, and all that other stuff. And there's one that is just totally overgrown, has a huge cyclone fence around it. And uh, my guess is the original director of the park probably lived there. And then blooming, as I headed back towards the south, golden rain trees are starting to bloom. There's a great weeping willow there. There is the sounds of birds. I don't know how many different bird sounds I heard, but uh, quite a few. And crickets as well. That orchestrated sound was just perfect. There's a columnar bed that floats in a triangular, let's say, segment of the sidewalk. And in this bed, there's a memorial to Stephen John Bosco Lopez. He was the keeper of the circle until 19 or 19, until 2014. So I guess he passed away at that time. And there's a mansion across the street from the Compton Heights, you know, tower, water tower. And that's actually the founders of the Magic Chef, the ovens. And that's where they, you know, lived. So, but this mansion is now open on certain days, on certain Saturdays and stuff like that. So if you want to see that, that is just actually perfect. And then a little bit further down, which I don't know how I've ever missed this, but I guess I've just not paid attention because I've been up and down Russell a lot when I lived in Soulard and all kinds of other times. But there's actually uh, Carpelli's Manuscript Library Museum. And that's on the right across the street from the park. It's on the south side of the park. And right now they have an exhibit on Mark Twain and also on Prina Dog Chow advertisement history. So what a combination of things. So that looks like a great museum to kind of just go and check out. So just go check and find out what the hours are and what days are open. So have a fun time. And, the, you know, the Magic Chef Museum, I mean, not museum, but mansion open. I didn't know that was something that actually happened. But anyway, remember, if you're out and walking around and you smell something very fragrant, it is the linden trees. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're going to do a retro phone call. Last week, a gentleman from Washington, Missouri called and said last year he had talked to me about something wrong with his hollyhocks. 
And I said, oh, I didn't remember it. So anyway, as I was walking out after the show was over, uh, I wanted to rush in because all of a sudden I remembered it, what this he had described was. And so consequently, I didn't think Adam Bull would like me interrupting his show with this information. So I thought I'd share it with you today. I had told the gentleman to go to a local nursery in Washington and ask them. But what he has, Hollyhock has, is something called rust. But the blisters on the top with the discoloration and the sort of imploding of the whole plant, it basically, it, what happens is it really causes some real problems with the hollyhocks. The best thing you can do is to prevent it from keep coming back because it comes back from the spores that the previous year's, let's say, rust fungus drops off. So clean up all the debris and uh, spacing of the plants to create good you know, air circulation. That certainly helps as well. And uh, you can treat it with a fungicide. You start early in the spring before the fungicide or before the fungus actually starts showing up on the hollyhock leaves. And then consequently, you got to do it routinely up until early July. So anyway, it is actually hollyhock, and it's a blister on the bottom of the plant and then just discoloration on the top. So hollyhock rust spread by wind, water, and uh, overwintering plant debris. So, sorry, I couldn't think of it last week. Anyway, back to the phones we go, or to the phones for the first time. Sally lives in Creevecourt. Sally, how are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I have a pin oak. It's about 30 years old. Um, it's a beautiful tree, but it has developed um, brown leaves on some of the tips of the branches, and I do have those spiky galls um, in this particular tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, are they related? Number two, what is the cause, if they're not, what is the cause of the brown leaves uh, on the tips of the branches? And is this um, going to kill my tree? No, it probably won't kill the tree. And the galls and probably the brownish leaf, you know, leaf tips or the leaves on the tips of the branches or whatever are probably not related, I wouldn't think. The, the tips of the leaves getting discoloration, as long as it's not full leaves that are dropping off or anything else, I wouldn't be too concerned with it. And the galls, you know, there's not really too much it can be. Those are, you know a type of wasp that lays the eggs and causes that bloating. But uh, so it sounds like as long as your tree looks healthy, it's not losing a lot of leaves or anything else, you're going to find that uh, the oak trees this time of year are going to have small branches, twigs dropping to the ground, and that's just the squirrels chewing off branches so they can practice you know, chewing and everything else as well as making nests. So it doesn't sound like your tree's in all that bad a shape. Well, the the question that I have, though, is the... It's not the edges of the leaves that are turning brown. It's the the leaves, the the whole leaf on the tips of some of the branches. Right. So even if it's a full leaf, it's, if it's not like a major branch dying, a few leaves here, a few leaves there, I mean, it could be, you know, we've had some strong winds. Some of those leaf stems could have been bent during the winds. And then consequently, so I, you know, again, I would not be overly concerned with it. You can always call a tree service and have them come out and take a look at it. Right. But I, you know, it just doesn't sound like as long as it looks healthy, sometimes we over, let's say, analyze things. Are we Because it is a tree, it's very important to you. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, uh-oh, is this something that's going to be major? And it just doesn't sound that way to me. Okay, so you don't think like three, four years down the road, this isn't the beginning of a declining tree? No, usually the decline is going to be much more major. 
you know, all at once. Like, if, you know, it won't have any fall color. I won't push out the right amount of leaves, you know, that, you know, the, the newest spring or last spring or whatever. But if it looks pretty much like it did in, historically in the past, a few brown leaves here and there, or even if, you know, there's hundreds of them. If a 30-year-old tree's got thousands of leaves, so a few hundred, I wouldn't worry about. Okay, thanks so much, Mike. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, again, you know, it's just, it's not something, you know, I mean, I'm not there, I can't see it, but as long as you're watching things as closely as you, it seems like you are, you probably don't have too much to worry about. Let's go now to New Baden and go into Joanne's yard. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, I weeded my vegetable garden and put straw down, but now I have weeds coming through the straw. Is there something you can spray on the weeds that won't kill my vegetables? Well, you know, you can't, I mean, there's not really anything you can spray. Straw is not a very good mulch as far as like, you know, sometimes a straw can have seeds with it. And a lot of times there can be just seeds there and you're just creating a nice environment for the weeds to grow through. So anyway, but there's not really anything that you can spray per se on the weeds unless they're like grassy weeds then what you can do, because the things that you're growing, unless you're growing onions or things with a narrow blade, you could put a grass killer on them, spray a grass killer, or you can just go out with, there's something called a wick applicator, which is a plastic bottle, a tube, and a sponge on the end of it. You mix up the herbicide in the bottle, and then you go around and dab it on the things that you're trying to kill off. Okay, yeah, some looked like it could be grass coming through the uh, straw. Right. We had this last year, too, but we thought, well, maybe... We had gotten some new soil put on the top of it and thought maybe it had... Oh, definitely. That could be the case. That was last year. So, I mean, we thought that was the reason last year, but now I don't know what the reason is this year. Right. Basically... You know, I mean, it's a it's a t- it's a difficult circumstance because seeds can blow in from any place, and the straw, even regular mulch. Let's say you want to use a regular mulch, that's not going to be a total weed preventer. It's going to buffer the number maybe, but it's not going to get rid of them. So going out there, you know, stepping on whatever you're trying to get rid of, and actually taking just you know an herbicide out there with you, and just painting it onto the plants, and you don't have to worry about drifting onto your let's say tomatoes or whatever else you happen to have. Yeah, yeah, I've got all different vegetables out there. I've got the onions, tomatoes, zucchini, yellow squash, <laughs> et cetera. Right. <laughs> tomatoes, yeah. So, okay, so just if I grass killer, or like you said, that wick applicator. Right. If you can find the wick applicator or you can just take a, you know, an herbicide in a, let's say, in a bottle or, a, you know, a jar, a mason jar, and just go around and then, you know, dab a paintbrush down into it and then just paint it onto the weeds. Okay. So it's going to be, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but uh, there could be weed seeds, you know, for several years ahead because weed seeds are not necessarily going to germinate, you know, from the previous year, that next year. So they could lay there for a while before they start causing you trouble. I've heard some people say they put um, newspaper down and then put straw. Do you know anything about putting newspaper yeah, down? Yeah, newspaper, guess, you know, will help. But also, you have to realize that weed seeds can blow in and then actually just germinate through that. Right. Okay. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. And let's see if we can get one more call in before we take a break. And Susan in Florissant, how are you today? I'm fine. Uh, Thank you. I have uh, Stella Deora daylilies, and I need to split them up. They are getting really huge. And I wanted to transplant some of them 
I guess, is it fall that I would do it or spring? Either one. You can do it in the springtime, basically, you know, when the foliage comes up, you can see where they are. But if it was me, I'd do it in the fall because the plants are going to be going dormant for wintertime. Right. So you can dig them up, you can divide them, you move them to the new location, just make sure you're, you know, the location's good for the daylilies. But uh, spring's okay. But uh, I certainly wouldn't do it now. I was hoping you weren't going to ask if you could do it now. No, no. I knew it was going to be fall or spring, but right. fall would be uh, the better of the two. Right, because fall is best for planting, transplanting, or anything because the ground's warm. It encourages root system growth, and then the plants get to go to sleep during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. We're headed to St. Charles, and that's where Dorothy lives. Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Hi, Mike. I was given a, a plant that I'm not familiar with. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right or not. Diplodenia. Uh-huh. And the instructions on the little card is mostly in foreign language. And it's got, I guess that's supposed to be a picture of a sun, and it says four plus. It's got a drop of water, what it looks like, as needed. And then you can apply all-purpose plant food every two weeks, and it blooms spring through fall. Right. Now, is this a plant I can bring in in the wintertime? Yes, definitely. If you don't, it's a goner. Okay. So basically what it's saying, it's got to have four hours of direct sun. Okay. But if you've recently got it, do not set it out in the direct sun. And even if you've had it for a while, next year or the you know years in the future, direct sun in the afternoon, you could scorch everything, even though it says four hours of direct sun. So four hours of morning sun is going to be much better. And water, basically, is when just look at the inside of the pot. And when you see the potting mix start to shrink a little bit, that's when you want to water. Okay. So when there's a little gap around there, and the fertilizer, you know, I, every two weeks seems a little extreme. But if you're going to fertilize it, basically you're going to do it during the more or less growing season. So you're going to start fertilizing sometime, let's say, in April, and then you're going to stop sometime in September. So don't fertilize year-round. Oh, okay. No, I just received it two days ago. Oh. I've, I've never had a plant like this. Now, I have it sitting out in my flower bed in the front yard, and that gets the morning sun. Sounds perfect. And so I should probably just leave it there then, right? Right. That sounds great. And, well, like I said, I'd, I've never had one before, and it's beautiful. Do, do they usually keep blooming through the summer like that? Well, it's kind of off and on. If you keep it well watered and it's getting the right amount of light and, it's keeping, you know, and you're fertilizing it routinely, uh, then you should be fine. Well, can I expect blooms then in the wintertime when I bring it in, or does it go dormant? It pretty much will not bloom during the wintertime. It's not okay. getting direct sun, you know, and the sun is less intense, so that's really important for it. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yep. I appreciate your help. Sure, and uh, good luck with that plan. And now let's go from St. Charles to Crystal City, and that's where Mary lives. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike, I have a couple questions. Um, This spring I used weed killer on my lawn, and now I have several bald spots, and it looks like the crabgrass is coming. Can I plant grass this late? Uh, You could. It's going to be a lot of work, and I would say you're probably better off just to live with whatever there happens to be there and wait. Okay. Now, should I just go ahead and try to kill the crabgrass as it comes, or shall I let it fill in? Or? 
Well, if you don't like to look at the bald spots, then, yeah, the weedy grasses are going to fill in those spots. I know. And you can go after it you know, with a pre-emergent next year when the forsythia is in bloom. But okay. If you, if you don't mind the bald spots, or the, you know, then you could go ahead and kill it. But just realize it's probably already you know, dropped a bunch of you know, weed, yeah. grassy seeds. And then consequently, you're probably going to have to put the pre-emergent down next spring anyway. Okay, second question. Uh, do I um, go after the mildew on my flocks like you talked about, the hollyhocks, thin it out? Uh, with, the, with the flocks, it's a little tough. I mean, that's powdery mildew. It doesn't cause the plants to you know, implode or anything like that, nothing like the hollyhocks. This is more of an aesthetic problem. And you can't really thin out flocks because they're, you know, they're not like a hollyhock that just grows a bunch of leaves and shoots up a stalk full of flowers. Flocks are like invasive. You know, they're colony formers. And so consequently, you're never going to make it so there's good air circulation. If, you're, if it's really thick and dense, you might pull some of them out. Again, like September, October, sometime like that. But for the most part, uh, even spraying it before you see the, you know, spraying a fungicide before you see the fungus, that will help some. But a lot of times our weather, our humidity, just like today it's so humid, is going to cause the flocks to have. That's just an, more or less an inherent problem with them. Okay. Now, the third thing, on the, uh, on the oak trees with the galls, I had uh, Hanson Tree Service come um, two years ago mm-hmm. and inject my tree and then uh, heavily fertilize it, and that seems to help. Right. I just wanted to throw that in in case somebody else might want to try that. Yeah, it definitely will, you know, will help. It won't eradicate them, but it certainly you know, will help. And the fertilizing okay. just keeps your you know, tree healthier. So that sounds like, and thanks for the insight. Well, thank you for your show, or for our show. How's that? Yes, your show. All right, thank you. (laughs) Certainly. Now let's go from Crystal City to Sunset Hills into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Good morning. Hi. My question is, um, throughout the years I bought plants, and it seems like some, the roots are really girdled inside the pots. Uh, I'm at a loss on how much I should cut out, or, or what should I do to eliminate that? What kind of plants are these? Are they woody shrubs, perennials, annuals, what? A little bit of both. Sometimes, okay. like petunias, they're, you know, when the season is bad and they're sitting around in a nursery for quite a while. Right. Um, Basically, if, oh, go ahead. And and also on some perennials, uh, uh, replacing them in the, in the yard or adding to it, um, yeah, if you pull something out of a cell pack or you pull something out of a four-inch pot or one-gallon pot, perennial, herbaceous, even woody or anything else, water the plants before you pull them out. Then okay. just kind of untangle the root system. You don't really need to prune the root system at all, but just you know, untangle it as much as you can, kind of spread it out, and then you know, put it in the hole, and that's you know, about all you really need to do. Okay, but you can't just stick the, the girdled root in and... and- planet. It Sometimes would. you do. I mean, I fool around with that and I do it and I have good success with some things. And, so, you know, I bought some, I'm not a real fan of petunias, but I bought some petunias this year because I haven't had them for years. And th- I got them in a cell pack, six, and I got like six, six packs or whatever. But when yeah. I pulled them out, they were, I mean, root bound for sure. So I just, yeah. you know, I just thought I'd stick them in, you know, and see what they did. A couple of them have done great. A couple of them have just imploded, and then some of them are just kind of catching their breath. But if you pull it apart just a little bit, uh, there's, I mean, it's easy to do, and it's certainly probably to the advantage of the plant overall. Okay, perfect. 
Greg, so much. Certainly. And good luck with that. Yeah. And certainly with Woody's or anything. But, uh, you know, just, you know, you don't have to really cu- don't cut the roots off. Just kind of untangle them because you're going to break some of them off by doing the untangling anyway. Ruth and Godfrey, how are you today? Hey, Ruth. Oh, yes, Ruth is gone. Sorry. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Or of Heise Advisory Group, as they help guide you on your retirement journey. Tune in to Your Retirement Highway every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed back to Ruth's house, and Ruth lives in Godfrey. She was out watering plants, so uh, that's why we missed her. Hi, Ruth. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, I have two questions for you. One is about uh, knockout roses. When they are done blooming, how far down from the spent flower do you clip off? First of all, some people don't prune them off at all. I have four of them. I'm pruning. I've pruned back three of the four. One of them I'm just letting go and just to see what the comparison is. But, uh, you know, cut about, you know, three to four or five inches off is what you need to do. Okay. So you cut past where the three stems come out of the main branch. Right. Because the three stems is usually where there's three different flowers. Right. Yeah. So you want to go to the next, let's say, leaflet, leaf group below that. Okay. All right. And the next one, I have uh, two Yonimus bushes, and they are just covered with little white specks on the leaves. Um, And I have sprayed them with malathion before. And that doesn't help? No. They came back again with vengeance this year. I almost killed them last year, (laughs) and they did come back. Um, What do you do? What do you suggest doing? Basically, this is a scale, S-C-A-L-E, is type of scale insect. Regular insecticides don't help them because they're, the back of them, of what you're seeing, is like a fingernail. So the regular insecticides do not penetrate that. So you have to suffocate these things. So you got to go this time of year to your favorite garden center and get a summer weight horticultural oil and then spray them you know, with that oil. And then next year, sometime uh, February, mid, you know, Valentine's Day, you want to get a regular type of dormant, you know, weight oil and uh, or a dormant oil and spray them at that time as well. Now these scale may not fall off, so but f- ultimately they will fall off once they're dead. So summer weight oil for right now, and then uh, dormant oil in February, and that's it. Probably may take a couple applications depending upon. How many, you know, how, let's say, how much or how many that you have on your, your wanamus plant? Okay, they are also on the back side of the leaf. Right, so you're going to have to spray both sides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, oh. uh, it's a bit of an aggravation for sure. If you don't, then you just might as well not spray anything. Right. Uh, so, would it be best just to remove them out of the gr- ground and Spray the ground, will they? No, that doesn't help at all. These are stuck to the plant. So, in other words, the mothers, you know, they got there, you know, and basically they've been laying eggs and the scale, once they hatch, then they just kind of move out to where there's nothing right there, another scale, and then they attach themselves and suck in. So, it's, the ground has nothing to do with it. Okay, so 
if I would take the bushes out and plant something else there, uh, they would not come back. Exactly. This, these things are right on the plants. Right. So there's nothing, I mean, there's not going to be any residual if you remove the plants. Okay. Well, thank you. Yep, good luck with that. And now let's go to Bell Fountain Neighbors and in the John Yard. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Great. Thanks. Appreciate your show. Uh, I have a burning bush and a forsythia that uh, I've allowed them to grow higher than I wanted. They're about five or six feet high right now. Mm-hmm. I'd like I'd like them to be around two feet high. Uh, what would be the proper time of year to trim those bushes? Well, pruning them back that severe, I mean, you're taking like two-thirds of the growth off. That may be deadly for these things. So just understand that. And the best time to do it is, you know, for the forsythia, you should have done a little bit earlier. If you, obviously, if you're cutting back, you know, you're cutting the forsythia or the burning bush back that much I would wait at least until you know, fall is here so you can get the red off the burning bush foliage and then just don't worry about the forsythian and prune them sometime in the fall through early winter and then um, just keep your fingers crossed that they're going to re- you know, recover from that. Okay, if that's too much, I don't want them to, uh, I don't want to kill the bush. What, what would be the proper pruning to, to go down in stages, a little at a time, you or what? You could do that, or you could cut 25% off. That's about the maximum I like to do. Some people can, you know, you can prune more. But if you do more than that, you're just, you know, you're creating a scenario. And definitely don't do it as we're heading into summertime. If you prune now, then the leaves are just going to get sunburnt that are now still on the, the shrub, regardless of which one it is. And then it's going to really look ugly all summer long. Okay, so so the best time to prune is uh, early winter or fall for both of these bushes. Right. Ideally, you would do this the forsythia right after it flowers, but obviously that's too long. I mean, that's already passed. So the you know when you cut a forsythia, the branches you you're cutting off, you're not going to get flowers off those, but it's, you should still get flowers off the rest of the shrub. Okay, thank you very much. And let's see if we can get uh, Mary in Chesterfield. Mary, how are you today? I'm good. Hi. Hey, Mike. Um, a couple of questions. Um, I'm the lady with the hydrangeas that I'm always having trouble with. I got a new uh, landscape guy, and he trimmed them back. And I'm not quite sure why, but he did. Um, will they bloom this year? All depends on the variety, because there are some that bloom in the spring. There are some that bloom all summer long. And there's some like oak leaf hydrangea that's in bloom right now. Uh, these are the limelight. So they're rebloomers. Uh, so <laughs> consequently, you should get some more flowers off of them this year. Okay, so that's good. Okay, next next question is: um, I got some uh, olive trees as gifts for Mother's Day. They're planted in the house. What do you think the best water uh, watering technique for them? How much do I give them, and how often? Don't water routinely at all. Again, like I told the lady earlier, just watch the inside of the pot. When the potting mix starts shrinking away and you see a gap between the inside of the pot and the potting mix, water them then. They want to be on the dry side. Okay. Because, see, I've noticed a few of them. I've got three of them, and I've noticed a few that I've got some leaves that are on the ground. Right. Does that mean it's too dry? Does that... That means it's gone from a great place, be it a nursery or a greenhouse, into your home that's not quite as great. 
What are you, what are you trying to say, Mike? I say this: these are tough plants to grow as house plants. Put them in front of a nice, bright, sunny window, and definitely do not overwater. When I lived in Santa Barbara, I lived on Olive Street, and they had olive trees as street trees. And, I mean, Santa Barbara gets like 10 inches of rain a year. So, I mean, that's not very much. So if you overwater these things, it's trouble. Okay. Well, I'll do what you say, and I should treat my fiddle leaf big tree about the same? Yes, very much so. Many people cause more problems. If they see some leaves, you know, falling, they think water, water, water. Or if they see things drooping, they think it's water, water, water. And that's not the case most of the time. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again. Yep. Good luck with that. And listen to you next Saturday. (laughs) I will see you too. And uh, if anybody has any questions, you can give Matt a call, 314-436-7900, Speaking of knockout roses, I have those four. One of my knockout roses started getting all these holes a while ago. And so I thought, what is going on here? The other three were pretty much hole-free. This, I'm talking about the foliage. Well, I did a little research. I started you know, turning the leaf upside down. And what I did then is I went to the Missouri Botanical Garden website. So that's missouribotanicalgarden.org and did some research on what's causing this leaf problems on roses. And I found out they are actually rose slugs. Now, these are called slugs because they're little tiny things about a half inch. They're, I mean, they're slimy. That's why they're called slugs, but they're not slugs at all. They're sawflies. So this year I have had problems with pine sawflies, and now I have problems with rose sawflies. Now I haven't, I've been checking this rose shrub. It looks like most of them are gone. So spraying or anything else is not problematic. But once they go through there, they've morphed and become, let's say, finished chewing and ruining your leaves, then they drop into the soil and then they'll come out as adults. So they're actually flies. I saw flies on my roses Earlier this spring, I thought, well, flies, who cares about flies? But it turned out they were rose saw flies, which it's rose slugs. Why they're called slugs? It makes my industry seem very smart. But they have a wild life cycle. So if you have holes or you have areas in your roses that kind of look bad, MissouriBotanical.org. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law